Amen. Well, welcome, good morning, and welcome to First Baptist Church. If you're glad to be here, would you say amen? Amen. If you're not happy to be here, just be smile and be nice, okay? <laughs> Treat everybody right. We're so glad to have you here in person. Also, those that are here by way of Facebook or YouTube, thank you so much for being in God's house today. We are looking forward to a great... I'm excited about the new series on the names of God. This will be the first one today, and uh, I'm not sure. Actually, I have planned on my calendar the names of God all the way through September of this year. I'm not sure I'm going to go that long, but if I walk out later today and see my shadow, I'm going to extend it six more weeks, <laughs> that series. So we're glad to have all of you here, but uh, let's have a word of prayer. But as we do so, there's some special needs that we'd like for you to pray for. First of all, uh, the Waitley family, if you'd pray for their daughter, Sydney. Uh, special needs. Uh, appreciate if you would pray for her. And then Billy Falling is in the hospital, Veterans Hospital today, so we need to be praying for him. <clears throat> uh, Chuck is here, so I, I won't be able to pick on Billy for being one of the guys, few guys in the church older than me, but I will be able to pick on you, Chuck, so be prepared. <clears throat> David Stenson's service will be this coming Saturday. Uh, David Stenson went home to be with the Lord, so I want you to be praying for Patty. Patty is here, I believe. Where are you, Patty? Right back here. God bless you. We're praying for you, praying for the other rest of the family. But at noon this Saturday, we'll have a service here, and you're invited to that. <clears throat> and also uh, in our community, some uh, a Bud's candidate um, lost his life uh, in training, and another uh, candidate is in the hospital right now. Uh, don't know their names, but uh, we need to pray for the families right now. So let's bow our heads together. If you have a special need that's heavy on your heart, Today, would you raise your hand up, hold it up for just a moment, and, uh, and there are lots of hands, so we will pray for you. Our Father in heaven, we are such a needy people as we come before you. Lord, it seems like <clears throat> not a day goes by, but what there's not something that's just pressing that uh, one of our loved ones, one of our family members, one of our church family members um, has a special need. And so, Father, we present these names that we've just offered to you. We also... Um, pray for those who've raised their hand indicating special needs in their lives right now. God, I'm so thankful you're a God who's not overwhelmed by the number of requests that are made to you. I'm so thankful that you're a God who's uh, omniscient. You know all things. You know our needs even before we lay them at your feet. So Lord, we pray that you would bring comfort, consolation, peace, forgiveness, grace, mercy, and, and whatever else it is that we need. Father, provide those needs. And Lord, those that are hurting today, may you lift their spirits because they're in your house today. May the Holy Spirit minister to them. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, and please be seated. And I'm so glad, and I, I got to meet some of our uh, guests that are here today, first-time first guests, and some of you. Uh, it's been about 10 years ago since you were here. Others, uh, last week was your first Sunday. However uh, it is, uh, whether this is the first time or first time in a long time, would you please do us a favor? In the seat backs in front of you are what we call connection cards. And I'd love for you to take one of those out right now 
and fill it out. There should be a pen also in uh, the seat backs, but please fill this out. If you have prayer requests, you can put those on the back. If you would like to ask a question about the church, if you're interested in being, uh, becoming a Christian or in being baptized or joining the church, whatever it is, uh, then you can write that down. We'll get a hold of you. Put your contact information and we will get a hold of you. Please fill this out. And then you can either turn it in to me after the service or uh, there's a collection box on the left of the double doors. That's where the members put their tithes and offerings in. If you are a guest, just all we ask you, just fill out the connection card and slip that in, and uh, we will have a record of your visit. Now, in your bulletin should be, would you check, should be a commitment card. Did anybody check your bulletin yet? Is there a commitment card inside your bulletin? There is. All right. Uh, I'd like for everybody to take this out, and I'd like for... My goal is that at First Baptist Church, every member would be a minister. Every member would be a minister. You say, well, preacher, I just don't, I don't know what I can do. Well, Shane, I mean, he's, he's a chef, and, and he, he came to the breakfast and, and started chefing. Uh, and so we thank God. And Terry uh, plays the git fiddle, so he's up here git fiddling. And uh, I don't know what talents you have, what abilities God's given you, but whatever they are, you need to figure out what it is you can do for the glory of God and use your talent for his glory. Uh, we desperately need workers in our children's Sunday school classes. So uh, if, you, if you would please prayerfully consider that, if you would give one Sunday a month to working in one of those classes. Uh, we have workers right now that are in there every week, and that's not good. Uh, they need to be in, in the service here also. So uh, consider doing that. If you will read God's Word daily, check that. If you will pray every day, make it a matter of prayer, check that. If you'll attend church on Sundays unless providentially hindered, you say, preacher, what does providentially hindered means? It means you're in the hospital and not expected to make it. That's what that means. Otherwise, <clears throat> be in God's house uh, and, and figure out something that God could, that God wants you to use for His honor and glory. And be sure to put, include the Lord, put the Lord first in your giving, your tithes, your offerings, missions, and so on. So these are not just stuffing for the bulletin. These are, this is an important card. Please fill it out and turn it in also in the collection box in the back. Rachel, come on up. As, as Rachel comes on up, we're, uh, she's got a special ladies' ministry activity that's planned for the end of this month, and she's going to tell you a little bit about it. And then we've got some uh, sign-up um, clipboards, and uh, she'll explain it, and then we'll pass these out. Okay, good morning. Okay. Um, I'm so excited to announce what we're going to have in three weeks so we are having a Come to, Come to Jesus Women's Worship event Saturday, February 26th from 10 to 1. I have a sign-up sheet coming around soon. Uh, we hope you'll come and join in a time of worship, prayer, and a time of sharing. We will have a speaker, Paula Dunn. You may have met her. She came here about six years ago. She just has a heart for Christ and a beautiful voice. Uh, child care and a light lunch will be provided. I also have a sign-up sheet for helpers to set up and break down, for maybe for some men. That would be great, because we're going to transform this whole thing in here. Okay. The focus of our time together is to linger, to abide in the word, because we know the blessed reality of Isaiah 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. The compassion of God is different than the world's compassion. Have you noticed? 
There are many examples in his word. Here's one you may know, the story in John chapter 5. A lame man of 38 years is at the Bethesda pool trying to get healed by the water. And Jesus comes to him, and the man starts giving him all these excuses or justification why he's not healed. Instead of Jesus saying, oh, it's okay, let's get all these other people out of the way, Jesus dissects his heart and, and says simply, do you want to be healed? Because the man wasn't getting it. He thought Jesus would have compassion on his circumstances. The sinful man, who was a believer, because he was chosen, had set up all these pedestals that kept him from the God of hope, the healer, Jesus. Come to him. As you pray about coming Saturday, February 26th, we hope you'll say yes and sign up. You are being prayed for already. Get in his word and notice how many pedestals we in our Christian walk have set up that has hindered the floodgates of his grace. And tell him, together we will come to him ready to receive from the comforter himself. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Hope you'll come. All right, thank for you, women Rachel. Only, sorry. All right, the, the clipboards are going around for the ladies to sign. Guys, this is one without all the fancy stuff on it. This is the muscle that we need to set up to move the chairs, put up the tables, and then to set them back up after the Saturday conference. So we're going to pass this around, and uh, hopefully you'll sign up and be available. It tells you the times and, and, and all of that. So thank you so much. We also have another special guest with us today, uh, Chris. Uh, with uh, the Basque Students Foreign Exchange Program. Are you going to start with a, a slide, or are you going to come right on up? Start with the video. Okay, so let's go ahead and play the video, and then you'll come up and introduce the program. And here's the Families microphone. to engage here. in foreign missions right at home. Students from the Basque country in Spain live with Christian host families for the month of July to improve English fluency. But their lives are forever changed when they experience the love of God through the families and church community. For the month of July, families in our church make a decision to open up their homes, which I think hospitality actually was like the first century church's strategy to share the gospel. The people here are incredibly unreached. There are nations like Saudi Arabia that have more believers percentage-wise right now than people in Basque country. The opportunity for a Basque people to know about Jesus is none. I mean, we are few Christians, that's the reality. In my family, they don't speak about that, but I want to know about him. If people don't go to Basque Country, or if hosts don't take Basque Country into their home, it appears as if there will be no reproductive disciple-making in Basque Country. When there was the announcement about summer in the USA and the concept of hosting a teenager for a part of the summer, it kind of pulled at my heart. She came and uh, was here for a month and lived in our house and just kind of did whatever we did. So hosting a bath student was a, a really cool way for us to give intention and extra meaning to our daily lives and just having this person with us where we were sharing the love of Jesus with them, showing our kids what that looked like, and then just giving it that extra meaning to our entire summer. When we first heard about the opportunity, I thought, there's no way this is gonna work for our family. We're way too busy. Our house is probably not big enough. The kids are little. Like, what are we gonna do for the month of July? And I'm so glad we decided to just jump in and do it because we had the best summer and we fell in love with Isado. The impact that you can have in such a short period of time is like years of work 
ultra condensed. Trust that if God is pulling at your heart, bottom line, follow that lead and it will work. Welcome, Chris Bravasco works with the Basque Foreign Exchange Student. Give him a welcome. <laughs> yeah. Good morning, everyone. So um, about two years, two summers ago, in 2019, Fitz and Agat had a Basque student, Mikel, and I'll invite them up because they're, they're more interesting than me. Um, <laughs> but the pandemic put a serious uh, kibosh on our uh, international travel program, as you can well imagine. And so we're really excited because we just opened up registrations for the students this last month. And within three hours of opening our website, half of our spots were full. It's like a U2 concert or something. <laughs> within a week, they're full. So we now have all our spots full. And now, so all of us on staff are scrambling for families because all these kids are signed up to go. Now we got to find host families. You guys, if, if you're at all, it's what she said at the end of the video, if it all pricks on your heart that you could use the simple act of hospitality, of showing someone a warm meal and a warm welcoming family for a month, and that could be the only door that they ever get to encounter the living God through Jesus. And it's pricking at your heart. Come talk to us at the table after the service, okay? Um, it's an incredible experience. God is reaching Basque people through families like you, normal families. doesn't matter what age you are. doesn't matter what life stage you're in. God is touching hearts through Basque, uh, through American host families. So I'm going to let Fitz share his perspective on things. Quick testimony because it's just ph phenomenal. Um, we had our, our Basque student, Mikel, come not just one summer but two. He became like a, a fourth son, just what we needed, another boy, for <laughs> – but Henry had another, yeah, another brother. It was just, it's fantastic. Everything you saw up there is that they do a fantastic job um, uh, organizing. It's not as hard as you think. Really, there's times for you to even go out and do vacation and, and eat, like, uh, take a weekend if, you know, so it's fantastic. Great experience. So good that even Aget and the boys I was flying with Genoa um, it was able to get back that second summer and actually go visit him in Basque Country. So... Wonderful experience, a great way to open up, and I hope with your heart to just share the introduce the gospel. You know, Mikkel was crying the second time he left because he thought he was leaving his second family. So, so anyway, can't uh, can't say enough about it. So, please, uh, if God's tugging at your heart, get involved. No, I just want to say um, we've done it twice. We loved it. If anybody wants to talk to us more so about our experience. Um, whether you're on the fence, thinking about it, whatever it may be, uh, we would be happy to be a resource and let you know all the details. Thanks so much, guys. So, I mean, just one more thing. I mean, it sounds terrifying. You know, you're like, how in the world is this person going to integrate into our lives? The reality is it's not as hard as you think. It, it, it actually, it's really, really pretty cool. And I just want to say, too, that we have a team on the ground in the Basque Country. So when these kids hear the gospel here, they're able to go back. And if they want to go, go deeper with Bible studies or just get coffee with one of our leaders, they're able to do that. So our people have boots on the ground working with the students when they go back. So the work that you invest here isn't lost. It goes back and is connected to Basque believers on the ground over there. So come talk to us. Thanks for listening. Thank you, Chris. Appreciate that. Also want to mention today we're starting that series on the names of God, and then we'll have communion at the end of this service. So 
Uh, be ready. The Bible says that we're to examine ourselves, make sure we're right with the Lord, make sure we're right with people as much as we possibly can, and then go ahead and commune together. Check out the bulletin. I am so excited. We have Bible studies and uh, going on all week long. I mean, just about every day, if not every day. Uh, so uh, in the bulletin, you can find one perhaps that would meet your needs with your schedule and so on. We're sure I'm sure good to, glad to have you there. And then also want to mention, if you're interested in a nine-week get-out-of-debt program in the spring, let us know. Contact. Use that contact uh, connection card. Uh, so, I mean, we've it's a program that we've exercised at the other church a few times. It's been here twice, twice, and it has made a huge difference. Uh, people are out of debt. My wife and I are out of debt by... Uh, putting these principles into, into play, into practice. And uh, I know you live in California. You think there's no way you can ever uh, you know, not have car payments. I promise you there is. Yeah, there's no way you can't have house payments. I promise you, uh, given enough time, you will not have house payments. And so put the Lord first and, and practice his, his, uh, econ his system of economy, and God will bless you for that. So if you're interested in a nine-week course, uh, starting probably th toward the beginning of March. Let us know that so we can make contact with you. All right. You all ready to sing? Yes, sir. All right. Let's stand together as they lead us in worship.
Thank you, praise team. Thank you so much for leading us in worship today. You may be seated in the congregation and open up your Bibles, the Old Testament, to the book of Genesis. If you have trouble finding the book of Genesis, I will meet with you right after church for a little while. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 1, while you're turning there, boys and girls, come on up here and stand right down at the front if you're able to, okay? All the boys and girls, and we've got a good group. Look at this. We got a good group of boys and girls today. All right, let's give them a hand. Yeah. <clears throat> Glad you guys are in God's house. Let me ask you a question. Let me, let me ask you all a question, okay? Look up here. Look up here. How many of you know how to make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? Okay. Well, how do you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich? First, you grab two breads. Two breads. Then you grab the jelly. And then you grab the peanut butter. And your butter knife. Your butter knife. You grab a piece of bread. Okay. And then you put some peanut butter on the side. And then you grab a piece of the other bread. And you put the jelly. And then you slap them together. <clears throat> Let's give that boy a hand. <clears throat> he absolutely destroyed my illustration because I was going to talk about different things. He's got it all covered. Right down A, B, C, D, E, F, G. All right? So... So let me ask you this. Could you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without a knife? Yeah. Here you go. Let me hang on to this one, okay? How would you do it without a knife? Just dump it on there. All right, could you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without peanut butter? Could you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without jelly? Can you make a peanut butter and jelly sandwich without bread? Uh, that would be messy, wouldn't it? You got to have them both, huh? You got to have all that stuff. So do you know when God creates stuff, do you know when he created stuff, he didn't have anything to create it from. He didn't have feathers to make the birds. He didn't have scales and fins to make the fish. He didn't have dirt to make the soil. He didn't have oxygen and hydrogen and nitrogen and all those other gins to make the atmosphere. He didn't have fur to put on the kitty cats and the dogs. You know what? When he created, he created everything from nothing. So it's like if you could just have a peanut butter and jelly sandwich made out of absolutely nothing. All right, think about that. 
God is powerful. So God's able. He put all the billions of stars in place, all the planets in outer space, and created human beings. Oh, by the way, when he created Adam, he reached down to the crust of the earth and formed and fashioned Adam out of the crust of the earth and made him in the image of God. You did not come from monkeys. <laughs> and you're not a monkey's uncle. You are not from monkeys. You are created from the very hand of God. He loved you that much. Father, I pray you'd bless each girl, each boy here. I pray that you'd open up their hearts and their minds to the word of God. And I pray that the enemy would never, ever defeat them and never discourage them and never lead them astray. Father, bless them as they go to class. Bless their teachers. Lord, supply more teachers, we pray in Jesus' name. And all the kids said, Amen. All right, all the kids go over here, and the sixth graders through the ninth graders go out onto the patio for, the, for your Sunday school class, sixth graders through the ninth graders. This is a live group here today, I'll tell you what. <laughs> you never know. Ryan, she almost got my communion again. She I rescued my communion elements. All right. She was looking for money. Last week, all of you, oh, yeah, okay, that, that's all right. All right, we'll give them just a minute to exit. And I ask you the question while they're exiting, what's in a name? What's in a name? Shakespeare asked the question, what's in a name? That which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. One of the Big Ten Commandments, we call them the Big Ten, one of the Big Ten Commandments involves the improper use of the name of God. Isn't that significant? The 10 things that God had written into stone with his own finger, one of them had to do with his, the use of his name. Philippians, the, the, the author Paul who wrote Philippians said, there is a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow. Often names had, uh, and to, had today significant meanings. We had a young man visiting, I think his name was Jaden, right? And, and, and he, he knows what that means, it asked of God, and, and, and so that's, that's cool to be able to know that. Uh, Samuel also means asked of God. John means graced by God. Uh, so names used to be, uh, have a special significance. At the other church I pastored, I had a family whose, whose son was named Boxcar. I'm, I'm not sure how that fits in the sermon at all, because... It doesn't mean anything. Uh, Frank Zappa had a couple of kids. He had four, I think, but one of them was named Moon Unit and the other Dweezel. So I'm not sure how that applies either. So I was inspired, since names have meanings, to look up my name. And so my name, my first name is Jimmy. No cracks. It's Jimmy, J-I-M-M-I-E, which I found out comes from James, which came from Jacob, which means deceiver. Thanks, Mom and Dad. I appreciate that. Uh, Wayne means wagon driver. All right. You know, head him up, move him out. Rawhide. I can do that. Vase, you may not know this, is a green woolen cloth on a pool table or a poker table. So I'm not sure what to do with my name either. Let's just get right into the message because God's names are a fascinating study into the nature and the character of Almighty God. Today we begin a study with several of his names and titles, and we begin with the very first one that's found in the book of Genesis in chapter 1 and in verse 1 that says, In the beginning God created the heavens 
and the earth. Isn't it interesting? The fourth word in the entire Bible is the name of God. And so what pl- comes into play here is something significant in in interpreting Bible uh, knowledge and interpreting Bible truth, and that is the law of first mention. Let me read to you what the law of first mention is. The law or the principle or the rule of first mention is a guideline that some use for studying Scripture. The law of first mention says that to understand a particular word or a particular doctrine, we must find the first place in Scripture that that word or doctrine is revealed and study that passage. The reasoning is that the Bible's first mention of a concept is the simplest and clearest presentation. Doctrines are then more fully developed on that particular foundation. So to fully understand uh, an important and complex theological truth, Bible students are advised to start with its first mention. In the beginning, God. That's the first mention of the name of God. Now, the primary names of God are identified in many of our English Bibles. You may or may not be aware of this, but let's go ahead and, and, and if you'll see the difference in, in the way these names of God are spelled, uh, and, and I, find, I have this right between the book of Malachi and the book of Matthew, there's a page that has this information. I don't know about your Bible if it has it or not, but when it's a capital G and a small O-D, capital G, small O-D in English, that stands for El or Elah or Elohim. And it's found in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. That's so God is spelled with capital G and a small O-D. Now, when you find all capitals, Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps, that stands for Yahweh, which was the, the name of God that was so holy that Israel and Israelites would not pronounce the name. So they would have these four consonants spelling out Yahweh or uh, in, the, in our English equivalency, the, the Jehovah God. Jehovah uh, is another name of God that we'll study in the future. Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 is one place where that name is found. When you find the word Lord with a capital L but a small O-R-D, then that indicates another name, which is Adon or Adonai, which means master. Uh, and it's found in Genesis chapter 15 uh, and verse 2. And so throughout the Bible, uh, this will be consistent, at least in my study Bible, the capital G-O-D is always El or Elah or Elohim. The capitals Lord is always Yahweh or Jehovah. And the L-O-R-D with a capital L small O-R-D is Adon or Adonai. So anytime when I'm reading in, in First Chronicles, if I flip over to read the Psalms, if I'm in Daniel, I have a key as to what name of God is being referenced in the Hebrew. The law of first mention is important. So, uh, so this, this name, Elohim, uh, is a plural of Eloah, and it's a shortened form of El-El. Now, this is maybe confusing to some people. I, I hope it won't, but, but I always thought, you know, Elohim, that's, the name of, that's always the name of Almighty God. Always. So if you find Elohim, it's referring to Almighty God. Well, there are 57 occurrences uh, of Elohim, and the King James Version translates that as God uh, 52 of those times. So five times, uh, it's, it's, it's fa- it can refer to false gods. The title Elohim not only can refer to Almighty God, but it can refer to false gods. Um, the longer form of Elohim occurs 2,606 times in the, in the Word of God, 2,346 times it refers to God, uh, 244 times refers to judges, five times to God, 
capital G, capital O, capital D, and then once as goddess and twice um, uh, mercy, uh, I mean great and mighty and angels and, and all. So, so the name Elohim is a title uh, as well as a name. When it's used in the context referring to Almighty God, it's referring to the one true God. It can be used of other uh, other people or even angels. It can be used of idols, Exodus 34. It can be used of men, Psalm 82. It can be used of angels in Psalm 8. It can be used of God-like men, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5. It can be used of judges. And in every case, when it's used of these other people other than Almighty God, it talks of their authority, not of their deity. But when it's used of God, it speaks of his deity. Elohim is the name of God used 35 times in the first two chapters of Genesis, and it's in connection with his creative power. The name is most used, this name Elohim is most used in the books of Deuteronomy and the Psalms. So let's understand this about the name Elohim. It is plural in form. Elohim, that, that ending, uh, when you talk about cherubs, that's singular, uh, a cherub is singular, a cherubim is a plural of angelic beings. So the I am ending uh, is indi indicating the plural use. So Elohim, El would be God. Elohim is in plural form. Now, it does not mean a plurality of gods. The Bible never teaches a plurality of gods. I believe it is a precursor of the doctrine of the, the Holy Trinity that we sang about uh, just a little while ago. Uh, so you have, you have one God, but you have him in three persons. So here's, here's kind of a graph. There is no perfect explanation. We talked about this yesterday at a minute's breakfast. Uh, finite mankind, finite human beings are limited in our absolute understanding of, a, of an absolute ultimate God. I mean, he's infinite, we're not. So there are many things. I, I've got a whole bunch of questions. If, if you have all the answers, please meet with me. I, I want to learn some more. I've got all kinds of questions. I don't understand. Uh, but, but this is an illustration is what this is. Uh, I, I talk about uh, the Trinity when you illustrate it with an egg. For example, Some people say, well, you got the shell, you got the yolk, you got the, the white. Well, that's fine, but you can actually separate the yolk from the white. You can make meringue with the white, right? And, and, uh, and you throw the shell away. God cannot be separated. God is God, one in three persons. So you have here representing the Father is not the same as the Son. The Son is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father, but the Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. They're co-equal in their essence. So we have the name of God being plural, but we have the, this, this singular in meaning when it comes to the unified true God. Now, can I give you an example of that from Scripture? Yes, I can. I'm glad you asked. Thank you very much for asking. In Genesis chapter 1, a little bit further down in verse 26, uh, it says here, God said, notice, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Plural, let us in our, plural, in, in our likeness, plural, let them have dominion over the fish, the sea, the fowl, the air, the, over the cattle, and so on. Uh, there's, the, there's the plural, okay? Uh, God is talking, is God talking to angels and saying, let's create man after our image? No. 
He's not talking to angels. God is talking within the Godhead. God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Let us create man in our image. But look at the very next verse. So God created man in his own image, singular. In his own image. God created he him, male and female created he them. So there you have the plurality, but you have the singular uh, in, in unity. And in fact, creation, we, we may think, was only uh, done, commissioned by, performed by the, the Father, but that's not the case. Uh, in Exodus 20, 11, the Bible says, for in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that's in them is, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. There's the Father. The Father is active in creation. But also in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. That's the Son, the living Word of God. This is the written Word of God. Jesus Christ is the living Word of God, the Logos. He lived out the Word of God and, and presented the gospel to us in his person. So you have the Son being instrumental in uh, creation alongside the Father being instrumental. You also have the Holy Spirit in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And then in Job 26, by his Spirit, by his Spirit, he has garnished the heavens, his hand has formed the crooked serpent. So you have all three persons of the Godhead active in uh, creation. Now, the third point here, Elohim speaks of God's creative omnipotence. Elohim's name, the name Elohim, or the title, if you want to say that, Elohim is, is connected directly with his almighty creative power. This is the first name of God that's associated with his creative power and glory. He called the worlds into existence. He didn't make the peanut butter and jelly sandwich out of bread and jelly and peanut butter. It's like, it, it, using the analogy I use for the kids, it's like God said, let there be peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And all of a sudden, peanut butter and jelly sandwiches appeared. But it wasn't sandwiches that he created. Uh, instead, what he did, without pre-existing materials, he called the worlds into existence. He, he, he spoke the word, and it was. He did not form them out of... He, a carpenter makes something out of wood, maybe using plaster, maybe with uh, other materials, but a carpenter makes something. God, only God, creates something out of nothingness. So that being the case, Elohim being the name used with and associated with the all-powerful creative ability of Almighty God, is it any wonder, is it any wonder that an atheistic, enlightened society would attack the creative activity of Almighty God? Is it any wonder they would come up with another theory to replace creationism, that theory being evolution? By the way, Neither evolution nor creation can be proven with a scientific method. You're aware of that, right? Neither one can be proven. 
because you, in order to use the so-called scientific method, you have to be able to duplicate whatever uh, you're, pro you're proposing happened. You have to be able to duplicate in a lab. Uh, the universe is not going to fit in anybody's lab, not even Wuhan. You know what I mean? <laughs> so the first time God chose to reveal himself to us, the first time in the Word of God, he emphasizes the fact, I am the creator. I call into existence everything that is out of absolutely nothing. So in our society, the one in which we live now that's going downhill, lickety split. My mama used to talk about things being lickety split. I don't know what that is, but that's fast. <laughs> things going downhill in a hurry. I, I, I have never, I, I, if you had told me 50 years ago some of the weird things, if you told me 10 years ago, some of the weird things that are going on in this world today, I, I would not have been able, I, I wouldn't have been able to comprehend it uh, because everything about God is under attack. Everything about God, your belief in God is under attack. The idea that you would, that you would be foolish enough to reject science and, and say, I believe in creationism because everybody knows that science supports evolution, Right? No, I don't know that. As a co young college student, I sat in an anatomy and physiology class, and we had our samples of, and, and things we were dissecting as we would go along. We started with some little, I can't remember the name of it, some little worm that we cut, and, and then we went from there to, I won't say because we have cat people in the room, but anyhow... <clears throat> And then we would study embryology, and we would study the embryos of birds and the embryos of cats and the embryos of, of horses and the embryos of dogs and the embryos of human beings. And, and, and the professor would stand there and say, you can see how evolution has taken place because these embryo, embryo, embryos look so much alike. But folks, appearances and looking like doesn't prove identity. It proves a common designer. Amen. I drive around Chula Vista, Pat uh, and I will drive around Chula Vista, and some architect has gone nuts in Chula Vista, and, and his whole architectural theme is squares. That's it. It's like, you know, he never got over building blocks you know, when, he was a, when he was a kid. And, and we just don't like him. My wife doesn't like symmetry and everything perfectly. That's why the chairs are all cocked weird. And, uh, and, and that's part of the reason. And, and so, uh, but, but he, everything is, is angular, 90 degree angular type thing. And, and so all these apartment buildings scattered around don't mean they evolved from each other. They had a common designer. And so the study of embryology proves we, th that we all come from a common designer, but we're all different. We're all, uh, uh, the species are all different. So we have this theory of evolution that attacks everything, and, and, and to nullify the existence of, of God, so-called science must scuttle the idea of a God who's capable of creating out of nothing. That makes no sense. You can't do that. You can't make nothing out of, something rather out of nothing, except God can. Elohim can. Elohim did. Oh, but preacher, don't you know we're the, we're the products of adaptation and evolution, the survival of the fittest? If we're the survival of the fittest, we got big troubles right now. I'm, saying, I'm not so fit. 
I have fits every once in a while, but I'm not so fit. We're, we are <clears throat> not a special creation from an infinite God, they say. It's no accident, folks, that the first name or title of God found in the, in the Bible is Elohim, the first mention for the name of God, being one who is a majestic ruler who creates, who judges, who delivers, who sustains, who punishes, who has absolute power and absolute authority. By the way, Elohim, uh, in his consideration of his virtue, you remember after every creative act, you remember what he would say? It was good. It was good. It was good. When he came to, to, to Adam and Eve, it was very good. But then what happened? Eve. Bless God, it says it in the word of God. <laughs> Eve ate, no, it wasn't an apple. Wasn't a kumquat. It wasn't an orange, it wasn't a nectarine. It was something that we don't know because it's not, God hasn't left it available so that we would eat it and be in a permanently fallen state. Thank God for that. But because mankind fell into sin, sin nature, because of the rebellion against God, and that was going to be that was going to pass down from generation to generation, God, Elohim, God, could not leave His creation that was very good without trying to do something to restore it and make it very good once again. And so Elohim is also associated with His grace. Because it's the grace of God that gives you and me the opportunity of having our sins forgiven. It's the grace of God that gives rebellious individuals like me an opportunity to go to heaven to live with God. Because I don't deserve it. So Elohim is associated with his grace and his pure grace that gives us a second chance. Forget second, 183rd chance and 6,323 chances and and continually he gives us chance so Elohim stands willing to save and restore his fallen creatures there's not a person here who has sinned so much that Jesus Christ cannot save you further number 4 in the outline Elohim pledges his covenant relationship you could spend a message on what a covenant is I probably should have, but maybe I will one day. But, but the, the idea of a covenant is different. A covenant, well, Pat and I have a covenant relationship. We don't have a contractual relationship. I thereby promise to love, honor, and uh, sign it right here. Sign it, sign it. It's not a contract. A covenant is based on trust. A contract is based on mistrust. If you sign a contract with, a, with someone who's going to renovate your family room or your house or whatever, it's based on mistrust. So you put the parameters in there. You say, well, this is how much it's going to cost. This is how long it's going to talk, uh, t- cost. Uh, this is how long it's going to take, rather. And both of those are lies, by the way. Because it'll cost twice as much, take twice as long. Uh, but but you, you build in these parameters, and this is what we're going to pay, and this is what it includes. and so It's all built on mistrust so that he doesn't come in and slap something together that wasn't anything that you had in mind. So 
Uh, so a, a covenant is built on trust. God gave a, a covenant to Abram, later Abraham. God had a covenant with David. God has a covenant with us. Now, now with Abraham, it was, it was the I am the Almighty. That was the basis for his covenant in Genesis chapter 17. For us, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 13, for example, there was God's promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater to swear by, God took an oath in his own name saying, I will certainly bless you and I will multiply your descendants beyond number. So the Hebrew author is recounting the fact of the Abrahamic covenant. Then Abraham waited patiently, and he re received what God had promised. Because, by the way, when God promises you something, it's going to happen. God's going to, Christ is going to come back one of these days. It's going to happen. Well, it's been 2,000 years, preacher. Yeah, days is 1,000 years, 1,000 years is a day. It's no, it's no big deal to God. He, his son is coming back for us one of these days. Now, when the people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it, Hebrews says. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also, listen to this, God also bound himself with an oath. What? God bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promise could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. Aren't you thankful to God who said, if you believe in me, I will forgive you of your sins and be your savior and, and, I will t and you will live with me for eternally? Uh, aren't you glad he can't just one day wake up and say, I'm going to change my mind? Amen. Oh, um, I'm not going to do that anymore. God has given both his promise and his oath, and the Hebrews author continues by saying these two things are unchangeable because why? It is impossible for God to lie. It's impossible for him to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is strong and trustworthy, anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Using the analogy here of the temple. We're not just outside the, the temple. We're not just in the courtyard. We're not even in the holy of holies. We're in the holy place. We're in the holy of holies with Jesus Christ, the one who made atonement for my sins, the one who shed his blood so that this sinner could be made righteous and made whole through a righteousness that was not my own, but it was his righteousness. G. Campbell Morgan called this name Elohim, and I quote, absolute, unqualified, unlimited energy. And he said it's a stimulus to faith and an inspiration to love. What good would God's promise be if he weren't all-powerful? What good would it be? Oh, I promise you can live with me for eternity. If he weren't powerful, all-powerful, maybe he wouldn't be able to do that. The father, in the power of his love, the son, in the provision of his grace, the spirit, in the potentiality of his strength, and God reminds us in the book of Psalms, I will be to you an Elohim. I will be to you, God. I will be to you an Elohim in Psalm 91, 2. Our response ought to be, my Elohim in you will I trust. Number, number five in your outline. 
Compound names come from Elohim, many of them. El, just E-L, means the strong one. El is the root for the Arabic Allah. Okay, listen closely. Allah and God Almighty are not the same person. I'm saying the name Allah has the same root as Elohim. Same root, different God. I'm sorry. This idea of all the, the religions of the world are, are like giant spokes on a wagon wheel, and they all lead to the center, and so, you know, uh, they're all going to get to heaven. You know what? That's not true. I guess it's okay if you want to get to the hub one day, but I don't want to get to the hub. I want to go to heaven one of these days. That's, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus was exclusive in saying he's the only way. So anyhow, El is the root for the Arabic Allah. El is the supreme God of all. Abram uh, honored Melchizedek, who was a priest of the Most High El, the Most High God. Psalm 22, prophetic, records Christ saying in the pre-incarnate incarnate, um, uh, person, my God, and saying, my El, my El, why have you forsaken me? And, and, and at the crucifixion, then uh, in fulfillment of this psalm, Jesus cries with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, which means my strength, my strength. Why have you forsaken me? The little two-letter word L is often combined with nouns or adjectives. Israel means God strives. Bethel means house of God. Penael means the face of God. And maybe you have a name that is associated with a, with a compound of, of El. Uh, names like Eliakim, Elihu, Elimelech, Elisha, Elijah, even Elizabeth, and, and maybe a hundred more, probably more than a hundred more hyphenated forms of the name El. So Elohim, Elohim called into existence the universe's plural. Billions of galaxies. You realize that? I'm thinking our galaxy is pretty impressive. Would you agree? Our Milky Way galaxy, that's pretty impressive. Billions, what? Billions? How could... My little peanut brain just... Not a very big explosion. There's not much there. It's a little... Billions of galaxies, trillions of stars, more stars than what I mean, the United States is in debt today. Imagine that. <laughs> Uncountable numbers of planets and moons and asteroids and comets and black holes and clouds of dust and gas and all swirling in the vastness of what we call outer space. And Elohim created every one of them with his word. And Elohim sustains every one of them. And Elohim can alter them forever. Ah, but guess what? Guess what the name in Psalm 14.1 is? The fool has said in his heart, there is no 
Elohim. There is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. Psalm 19, verse 1 through 6. The heavens declare the glory of God, and that is El El. The heavens declare the, the, the handiwork. You look up into the heavens. He says, you can, you can tell. If you're honest, you will look into the heavens and you will say, there's something greater than all of this because the creator of all of this has to be greater than the creation. Someone created a, a watch. It required someone to think through design, think through how to, how to make the gears, think through how to put them together, think through how to get the elements for the crystal, think through the metals, think through the, the bands. Think, I mean, they had to think through all of this. Someone, the, the watch is not greater than the watchmaker. And creation is not greater than the creator. Elohim God. Day unto night utter speech, and night unto night shows knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth, and their words to the end of the world in them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of the chamber. He's describing the sunrise as a bridegroom coming out of the chamber. Rejoices as a strong man to run a race. His going is from the end of the heaven and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. Adam was created without sin but fell. It was Elohim that slew the first blood sacrifice. The animals in the garden, innocent animals were slain that their skins would become covering for Adam and Eve. Symbolic of something more important than clothing. Symbolic of the blood of the sacrifice necessary to cover the sinfulness. The first man failed. The strongest man, Samson, failed. The meekest man, Moses, failed. The man after God's own heart failed. The wisest man who ever lived failed. If I were ever going to doubt the inspiration of the Word of God, it would have to start with Solomon, who's supposed to be the wisest man who ever lived, who married a thousand women. <laughs> Can you imagine trying to keep track of all the anniversary dates? <laughs> Birth dates. He'd be constantly in trouble, guys. <laughs> He'd be like, oh, man, I forgot 25 of my wife's birthdays today. Holy cow, what am I going to do with that? First man failed, strongest man failed, Meekest man failed, man after God's heart failed, wisest man failed. You failed, and I have failed too many times. And it's Elohim who creates, rules, judges, delivers, punishes, and provides grace. It is Elohim who provides atonement for our sins. Do you know him? I mean, do you really know him? Or do you know about him? The difference. You can study about the person of Christ. You can study about the work of, of Christ. You can know about him. Do you know him personally? Are your sins forgiven? Are they washed away? Are they removed from you? Have you been born again? Would you bow your heads just for a moment? Would you contemplate that question for a moment?
Do you really know him? Do you really know him? How can I know him, preacher? You can know him as your personal Elohim, the creator of your physical body, but the recreator of your spiritual life, calling that which is dead to life through his omnipotence, Elohim. You realize you're a sinner. We all are. You realize the wages of sin is death. Not pleasant to think about, but it's reality. You realize that Christ is the Son of God. That's where faith has to come in. Someone named Christ was crucified. We know that as a historical fact. Even secular historians write about that. It requires faith to believe he's the Son of God and he died for you on the cross and that he rose again on the third day. And the Bible says if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart God hath raised him from the dead, we can be saved for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you don't really know him right now, would you call upon him right now? How do you do that? You pray. You pray. It's not saying the words that saves you. It's the attitude of repentance and turning to God. But you might articulate it with these words, and I invite you, if you don't really know them, you're not sure, to make sure right now by saying something like, Dear God, Heavenly Father, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm going to die one of these days, and I'm not sure I'm ready yet. I'm not sure I'm ready to go to heaven yet. So Lord, give me faith. Help me to believe in Jesus Christ as my personal Savior. Help me believe in you that you gave your only begotten Son to die on the cross for my sins. And right now, Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins, to be my personal Savior and my God. Wash me clean from all those things for which I feel guilt and shame and failure. God, take those things away by grace, through faith. I trust you right now with every head still bowed. Not going to embarrass anybody. But if you just prayed that prayer right now or something like it, and you meant it with all your heart, would you raise your hand up high? Hold it up real high. Keep it up for just a moment. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, thank you. Put your hands down. Anybody else besides these? Anyone else? Don't be embarrassed. Promise I won't, I won't call you out. Father, I thank you for these who have prayed that prayer. Lord, I pray that more important than just praying the prayer, that there's an act of faith whereby they put their trust in you as their Elohim, as their omnipotent God, the one who gave everything up for them. Father, bless them, I pray. And Lord, now may the rest of us take an honest look at our lives and examine our hearts and make sure that we are right with you as best we possibly can be, right with others as best we possibly can be, and determine to make it right if we're less than that. We ask these things in Jesus' name. We're going to have communion together. If you did not get the elements, 
If you will raise your hands, we have people who are going to go ahead and pass those out. Keep them up real high. They're coming from the front and the back. Steve, right over here to, to your left also. And then, yeah, we'll take just a moment to do this. The elements were chosen from the table that was set aside for the Passover feast. Every year, the Israelites would remember Passover together. Every year. They would take the lamb, the young lamb without spot or blemish. They would slay it. And they would roast it and they would eat the elements there on that Passover table. The elements were several and varied. But two of them were chosen by our Savior on his last Passover feast on earth. He chose the unleavened bread. Leaven in scripture is a type of sin. When introduced into dough, the leaven permeates the dough. So this lamb that was slain was to be spotless one, representative of the Son of God who was absolutely sinless. On that night, with his disciples, 11 of them gathered around him. Paul recounts how that he received this information. He said, I received with the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, in the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for your Son, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. We're so grateful that he was the one who had absolutely no sins of his own, none whatsoever. He didn't even have a sin nature because he was born of a virgin. So, Father, we ask your blessing upon this bread as we commune together this symbol of your body broken on that cross. In Jesus' name, amen. He said, take heed. Paul recounts, after the same manner, he took the cup. And he explained that this cup is the New Testament in my blood. It's a symbol of his blood. It is not his blood. It is a symbol of his blood that was shed. And as a grape that is ripe is crushed and the juices flow, so Jesus began shedding his blood, perhaps in the garden, when the capillaries broke and blood mixed with perspiration fell from him. It continued as he was beaten and buffeted by the Roman, by the guards, the temple guards and the Romans. It continued at the merciless lashing with the cat of nine tails. That in itself killed many people. It continued as he was nailed to the cross, crowned with thorns. And it ended with a spear thrust into his side. He did not spill his blood, he poured it out 
for us. This cup is a symbol of that. Father, we're so thankful for the precious blood of our Savior, Jesus Christ, that cleanses us from all sin. What the blood of bulls and goats could not do, the blood of the Lamb of God did. In Jesus' name, amen. He said, drink ye all. The Bible says they then sang a hymn and went out into the garden. So I'm going to ask you to stand. I ask you to, as much as possible, connect with those that are around you. And let's sing, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. God richly bless you and go with you today. Thank you for being God's house.